Thank you for tuning in at Ravenna Assembly of God. We hope you enjoy this message and are blessed from it. If you want to tune in to more messages, log on to RavennaAG.com and search under the media tab. Thank you and God bless. You're right. But it might make me think about some things. And I remember as a kid, right, we would leave for our annual vacation to Union, New Jersey, going to Grandma's house. And we'd leave at this, these times in the morning that were not meant for you to get up and drive. But yet, that's the way we did it. And back then, it was about a nine-hour drive to where we had to go, all the way through Pennsylvania and whatnot, on Interstate 80 there, and, and, and uh, move into the Garden State Parkway. But the thing that I was thinking about was the fact that we would go to bed already dressed so that when it was time to go we were ready to go wrinkled shoveled and, and whatnot disheveled or what have you but but we were ready all dressed ready to hop in the car and then go back to sleep <laughs> but that's the way we do it we were dressed ready to go say that with me dressed ready to go that's what the bible tells us to be in a spiritual dimension when it comes to facing our enemy. For the next couple of weeks, I'm wanting to share with you concerning the armor of God. I'm going to and, and, and begin to break it apart into some, I believe, solid, practical teaching. I'm not out to get real deep. What I'm out to do is connect so that we understand how these pieces identify with Christ and how they identify in our spiritual lives. Uh, you know, it's a huge passage of scripture that's there. So let's go ahead and begin to read this beginning in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. What Paul writes and says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Understand whose armor it is. The armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore having girded your waist with truth. Everyone say truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, we talked about fiery darts and what those are. But we're going to talk about the shield of faith instead here in just, a, 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 well, probably next week. But here's the thing. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the sword word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Okay. Let me just get into this and say we need to be ready 
for the potential battle at all times. We need to be ready. We, we don't know when and where the enemy is going to strike. We don't know when they're going to come at us. But don't be lulled into thinking that because everything's okay today, everything's wonderful, that everything automatically will be fine tomorrow. Hello? How many know tomorrow can hold a quite different day? Listen, listen. The devil never gives up trying to defeat you. He's always looking for the, the blind side and your weak moment. It's, it's kind of foolish to wait until the enemy strikes to prepare for a potential battle. Hello? The truth is, it's often too late to get adequately prepared for a battle after it's begun. So, you know, I like to come back to what Paul says here. He quotes evil, the evil day. He talks about the evil day. What, what, what's he talking about? The evil day described the most intense moments of Satan's attacks and temptations. It's, look, it's not a reference to some, some time period of the calendar or some place in history, but to the intensity with how the devil attacks every person from time to time to time. You're talking about the moments and the days that we usually call crisis, tragedies. And sometimes they, they come to us after a, a slow buildup that's taken place over time. In other words, the storm's coming, and then suddenly it hits with a fury. Sometimes, you, you know... These moments strike us like emergencies, sudden emergencies. And, and, but whether the, the moment is slow or whether it's fast and coming, the moments require vital, important decision-making on our part. Look, the evil day brings with it the absolute necessity of making the wise choice or decisions because the entire future and sometimes the eternal future rests on the actions we take. That's how important this is. Every person has evil days. Nobody is immune from them. So, how are we to resist? Paul says by putting on the whole armor of God. In other words, we are to put that armor on daily so that we're ready for the devil's attack. Every soldier knows that the time to put on the armor is before the attack, not after the attack begins. The devil always seeks to attack us from our blind side and the least anticipated areas of our lives we don't see him coming well we need to be ready for whatever he throws at us whenever the moment occurs whenever things begin to happen we got to be ready the battle pieces of armor that paul describes are like pieces of armor that were worn by roman soldiers but if you step back and and, and you look at this in the spiritual light what you quickly recognize is that the armor 
is the nature and the likeness of Christ. We are to put on, clothe ourselves in the righteousness and power that are rightfully the Lord's. We have the ability to put these attributes of Christ, put them on, because we have put our trust in him as our Savior, as our Lord, and he dwells in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are given the power to become, as a result, more than conquerors. Look, the Apostle Paul wrote that you are to stand having girded your waist with truth. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Roman soldiers wore a long tunic that was cinched at the waist by a belt so that they could, you know, kind of move around pretty quick without tripping over their garments and stuff. The belt was, was wide. And it extended down from the waist to cover the entire abdomen and, and, and even below. The belt had a place as a result to obviously attach a sword. Now, I have to ask this question. I don't know if you think like this sometimes, but sometimes I get in trouble for thinking like this. But why did Paul assign certain aspects of Christ to specific parts of the physical body? That, that just, that, that piques my curiosity. I, I don't believe it's an accident that Paul assigns truth to the lower abdomen area or righteousness to the upper body area. Different parts of the body are vulnerable in different ways to physical injury. And, and the same thing is true for our lives. Each of us is subject to various types of errors and attack at different times in different ways with different results. The abdomen was considered the most vulnerable part. With me, it's the part that sticks out the most, obviously. But it was vulnerable in a sword fight because it was soft and fleshy tissue. Mine's as solid as rock, though. <laughs> you know, you, it's, uh, okay, I won't go there right now. But if you take and you're in a sword fight and that sword penetrates the abdomen, it, it penetrates it very easily and the wounds there could be intense. They could be uncontrollable bleeding as a result. You very many times back then had infection that was huge as well that would set in because of the injury and eventually take your life because of it. So what is the first piece of armor that we have in strongly resisting temptation or evil. It's called the girdle of truth. The girdle of truth. Now remember, the organs that are located there are related to the digestion of food and the elimination of waste. Also, the organs of reproduction are in this area as well. Paul was saying to the Ephesians, you have to know what to take into your life and what to eliminate from your life. In essence, he's saying, 
truth must be the filter for all perceptions, ideas, and dreams. Truth has to be the filter. I mean, get this. If, if you are entertaining ideas based upon false information or lies, you're living in a state of delusion, my friend. I'm sorry. If you are basing your dreams on a lie, you, you are not only deluded, but you are also likely living in illusion. And if you are unsure about what is true and what is a lie, you will be living in a state of confusion and your decisions and choices, they're going to lack clarity, they're going to lack focus, and they're going to lack power. God does not desire for his people to live in delusion, illusion, or confusion. He wants us really to be quick, to be swift, to be able to go through that stuff that hits us every single day with definite authority, with clarity, with no doubt, with assurance and boldness. In other words, this lines up with God's truth. This doesn't line up with God's truth. We need to be able to say, uh-uh, no, that is not according to his word. This is according to the things that are true. We are to take into our lives and make a part of us. We are to think on them, believe them, adopt them as our attitudes, and live by them as, 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 as guiding principles. The things that are not true, we are to eliminate them. And quickly, they are a waste of time, they're a waste of energy, and a waste of attention. Now, this might come as a very, this might come as a shock to you. But people lie. And sometimes people just live a lie. Not all lies are spoken. Amen? We may need to kind of evaluate what isn't being said or what isn't being done. We got to see clearly the character of a person because truth telling and living in truth are vital to the success of any friendship, any business partner, any marriage, or any other relationship that is linked to a long term godly goal. Friend, the pursuit of truth requires. A real commitment on our part. What I'm saying is we must, we, we have to be intentional about pursuing truth. We have got to be intentional. I'll say it again. It's no accident that truth is linked to the things that we take into our lives or the relationships that we have. How many know eating is intentional? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. It's the most intentional thing in my life. Eating is intentional. And we need to be intentional about what we choose to see, to hear, and to take into our lives. Yeah, we, we need to be intentional 
about the people we choose to hang with, be around, to associate with, to go places with, so forth. We need to be making continual choices to take only God's best into our lives and associate only with those who are basically following the Lord with their whole hearts, minds, and souls. Whoa, Pastor, are you saying we should never associate with an unbeliever? That's not what I'm saying. But our purpose for associating with an unbeliever should be to share Christ with them. I was just scared there for a minute. Not to date the person, to go into business necessarily with that person, to live with that person, to invest in that person and so forth. Look, his word is pretty clear on this and just reminding us, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial. Hmm. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I mean, I can take you through other passages of Scripture, like Isaiah 52, 11, Ezekiel 20, and verses 30, and, and, and 30, 41, and, and, and 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, all of them dealing with the same things. Look, at the heart of being intentional about living in the truth is putting this girdle of truth around you and, 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 and your conscious commitment to trust Jesus as your Savior and making a commitment to believe in Him and to follow Him with your whole hearts. Look, uh, a commitment is a very serious matter. I remind my wife of that every day. I have to. Because that commitment is, is as strong for me. I mean, how many know that, that a commitment is huge? It's saying, I will follow Jesus as the Lord of my life no matter what. Do you know the truth? Do you know that the truth is that you are saved by what? Grace, not by your works. You, you ain't going to earn one little dime of that thing. You can try it with all you want, but the truth, know the truth, and the truth sets you free. We are saved by grace. You have to stand for the truth without compromise. Hello? 
And understand this. I'm just going to put it out there as plain and simple as I can. Sorry if I'm bothering anybody, but it's God's word. Because a person cannot live the Christian life with consistency and victory if he does not make a commitment to pursue the truth of God's word. If you're not pursuing the truth of God's word and you're wanting to be this big, bad, bold, indestructible believer, you might as well build your house on the sand. We have got to know the principles of God. They're in the Bible there for us to read, but you have to make the intentional effort to read it. And to reread it. And to reread your rereading. Day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And 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 look, you know, you know <laughs> oh, it's too difficult. I don't understand what I'm reading. Well, that's because you're not reading it. If you're just reading a, a little bit of page or a little chapter here or there compared to that whole book and saying, I don't understand it. Well, I'd say the same thing. Friend, I love the Word of God. I get excited about coming into it. And you know what? There's a lot of times that I read through it and go, okay, all right. So Jeremiah tells them 13 different ways how they're going to be destroyed and taken out and put into captivity and, and so forth. But then Jeremiah talks about they need covering and that our sins and iniquities will be remembered no more. You got to read the whole thing. You got to get to know the principles of God. They're in there for us. It just doesn't happen by osmosis. If you think you know the word of God so well, you don't need to read the word of God. You, 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 you messed up. And the enemies won a battle. I don't, I don't mean to beat anybody over the head. It's not my, my, it's not my style. It's not my way. But I will tell you this. You cannot be an effective believer. Power of victorious and not read. Get into his precepts and his principles. Know what he's saying. Look, look, look. You have to make the intentional effort to read the Bible and to reread it. We have to completely take that into our spirit so that a response becomes, something happens, right? Something's going on. Decision has to be made. Is this in line with God's word? Am I being presented with the whole truth? Does this in any way violate or contradict my relationship with Jesus as my Savior? Does this conform to God's truth? And, and let's be real. Truth ultimately is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. So in putting on truth, we are putting on Christ. Look, I am in Christ. Christ is in me. And because Christ is in me by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ's truth 
is in me. So putting on the girdle of truth is literally proclaiming that we have the truth of God that's available to us. It's part of us, and it's operating in us at all times. Let's switch to the next one. How about the breastplate of righteousness? Paul, Paul wrote that you are to stand having put on the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14. Again, getting back to the Roman times, the breastplates of soldiers were usually made of, of thick, thick leather. They, they didn't provide the full mental protection of breastplates until the Middle Ages or later. But the breastplates that they did wore did keep a lot of arrows and swords from something called a full penetration into the flesh. I can, I can deal with a little boo-boo if it's not going to go all the way through me, if you know what I mean. The breastplate covered the vital organs of a soldier, especially the heart and the lungs. You puncture them, bye-bye birdie. But let me ask you this. What does it mean to be righteous. What does it mean to be? Look, his word tells us that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we receive the gift of what? Righteousness. It's imparted. The righteousness we receive is Christ's. It's his righteousness, not our own righteousness. Look, we stand in a position I am in Christ. Amen? Christ is in me. And because Christ in me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I have Christ's righteousness available to me and operating within me. The righteousness that Paul shares in this passage is about as practical as you can get for in understanding daily righteousness. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's living according to what is right before God. The word for righteousness in this passage refers to, to a, 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 a person's beliefs, attitudes, thoughts, behavior with God's commandments and principles. Understand this, this next line in your notes. There is, simply is no substitute for living obediently before God. Okay? There is no substitute. And, and, and just as we are the ones who determine what we will allow into our lives, we are also the ones who determine whether we will seek daily to be cleansed of sin and to pursue the will of God. It is to have a heart once that was once bent towards sin that is now bent towards the things of God. It's, 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 it, is, it is to say, as David said there, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Listen, listen, please carefully here. There is no such thing as a nominal Christian. A person who is walking in the flesh 
tolerates sin, tolerates excuses, rationalizes, and justifies sin. I'm not saying they, they aren't saved. That's not what I'm saying. But they aren't walking in obedience to Jesus. Therefore, they're, they're not living a Christian life. To live the Christian life, one must make intentional decisions for righteousness. you got to put on the righteousness of God and choose to walk every day in a way that is pleasing to Him. It has to be as automatic in our lives as breathing in and out is. And, and, and think about what it means for the breastplate of righteousness to cover a person's lungs and heart in the natural and in the spiritual. The lungs connect us to the environment, to our environment. We breathe in the world that's around us. We exhale into the world around us. The, the world contributes to us, and we contribute to the world. If the air we breathe is poisonous or it's polluted, our bodies are going to suffer. But in the same way, if we continually put ourselves in evil, in unwholesomeness, in, in negative environments, we can't help breathing in that spiritual environment. And we can pollute our spirits. Listen, you, you can't put yourself into an environment or an atmosphere of continual unrighteousness and expect the breastplate of God, the breastplate of Christ, of His righteousness, to negate what you willfully chose to breathe into your spirit. And exhaling into the world, what you are saying to your immediate environment, the environment for your home, your workplace, your church, what do people anticipate is going to come out of you when you are at that meeting or at the dinner table? Do you exhale hate or love? Attitude of bitterness or gratefulness? Anger and pain or healing balm of kindness? Revenge or mercy? Do you exhale a, a seething silence or a vulnerable willingness to reach out to others. Uh, the way you hold your body, your expressions, your voice are part of what you exhale into the world. What you exhale into the world must be covered by righteousness. No less so than what you inhale from the Look, we cannot live a successful Christian life without daily taking into our lives the breath of God's Holy Spirit. We must have the Holy Spirit functioning in us to live a holy life. We cannot live in righteousness by our own strength. Put yourself in an environment where the Holy Spirit can speak to you as you read God's Word without distraction, as you hear the Word of God in, in things like uplifting Christian music and 
and other messages. And don't forget about the heart that the breastplate of righteousness covers as well. Because the heart refers to the seat of a person's will and also to the emotions, to the beliefs and attitudes that feed into what a person wills or chooses. In other words, righteousness is to cover all of our emotions, our beliefs, and our attitudes. It covers all of our, that's what righteousness does. Look, take a look at what Paul wrote in Philippians. He said, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Friend, we are to feel, respond emotionally, to believe, and to have the attitudes that are described in God's Word. Is it hate or is it love? Is it anger or is it gentleness? Is it bitterness and resentment or is it forgiveness? What are the right feelings and emotional responses we are to have? Well, try this. God loves me. He desires to forgive me and wants to live with me forever. Or God hates me. He can never forgive what I've done and, 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 and is just waiting to, to judge me and send me to hell. Uh-oh. That, 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 listen, what I'm saying is the heart pumps the blood that gives life to every cell of the body. And in like manner, what you feel, what you believe, and what you hold as an attitude gives life to your words and to your actions. Oh, yes, it does. If your attitudes, emotions, and beliefs are right, then your words and behaviors are going to be right. If your attitudes, emotions, your beliefs are sinful, your words and behavior will be sinful. This word says in Proverbs, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from your deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Look, God calls us to live in righteousness. His righteousness is to cover all that we breathe into our spirits, breathe out to the world, and all the attitudes, beliefs, and the feelings that give rise to our behavior. Truth is, a person cannot live if the heart is penetrated by a sword or by an arrow. It's, it's just that simple. Or if the lungs are, are punctured by a weapon of some sort, death is immediate. And, and honestly, when you try to resuscitate, that's, very, that's usually not very successful. In the spiritual realm, what you take in from the world, what you breathe out into the world, and what you say and do on, on what you believe, think, and feel all contribute to something called integrity. Big one here, because it's called a person's reputation. And, and I say that because integrity 
is, is it, it's character, character appraisal in the eyes of others. It is directly related to the atmosphere in which you choose to live and help to create and to what you believe, what you think, what you feel, what you say, and what you do. It, it, it doesn't take much to mortally wound a person's integrity or, or reputation. But remember, here's the kicker. Our witness for Christ is on the line. No, per, no person's going to be able to live 100% free of mistakes or errors or sin. We are human beings. Hello? But we can and need to be quick to repent of our sins, seek forgiveness, make amends, and adjust our lives so that we don't go there again. We can walk in righteousness. Say that with me. We can walk in righteousness. Follow these scriptures with me. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. What's it saying to you? See, it's called the word of God. It's, it's, it's called getting to know his principles, what he's saying. You can't know it if you don't ever read it. It's, I'm not trying to cause, I'm trying to get, to get you to build a relationship to be bold, to be certain, not to have some idea in your head, but to have witness in your heart. This last part, little children, you know me in these, this passage here. This, this, this to me is, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, you got that part? Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed, singular, remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. How many sinned last week? <laughs> Sin is not an action, but a definite condition. You were born into what? Sin. That's not action, that's a condition. That's who you are as an unbeliever. Because of what happened to Adam, it happened to us. Just like what happens 
or happened to you is a result of your parents and your parents' parents and so forth. You were born Irish. You were born Ruston. Uh, you were born Polish, did you say? Yeah. You, you were Hungarian, Czechoslovakian, German. That's your heritage. That's who you are. You, you can't escape that. You were born into that line. When you were born, you were born into the line of Adam. And who Adam was is who you are. Because you were in Adam when Adam did what he did. So when Adam fell, everyone in him that was to come was born into a fallen state. It's called a state of sin. You can't escape that. You can't change that. You can try to live as different as you want, but it doesn't change who you really are. I can eat all the Italian food I want. I can smell like, like 14 cloves of car garlic, you know? But it doesn't change the fact that I'm Czechoslovakian. That's who I am. The only way I'll ever stop being Czechoslovakian is to what? Die. Then I'm not Czechoslovakian anymore. I'm dead. The only way that you can ever stop being person with a condition of sin is to die. And that's what Christ did for you. He took your place. He became you and all of mankind. And Death, Corinthians says, is the final sting of sin. What is that saying? It's the final sting of a condition. And the strength of that condition is the law. Christ became the law. He became our sin, our condition, and he died it. But guess what? He overcame it. So, so, so what it, does it say? That he might destroy the works of the devil. No more. No more. And because of that third day, he rises from the dead. And we who were in him when he died are in him when he rises. So that death in us is defeated. What am I saying? The condition of sin no longer applies to who? Those who believe in him. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. And in saying this, then we receive his truth. His righteousness, those shoes, that helmet, that sword, that shield. I have 
at that moment received Christ into my life, what happens? His spirit joins to my spirit, and we become one spirit. That which was dead now joins itself to life. Before, I was joined to the devil. My mom even called me a devil. But you understand what I'm saying. There was a union with darkness. There was an existence of life that was dead. It lived by me, myself, and I. But when Christ, when I said yes to Christ, his life came into my life, the Bible says his spirit and my spirit become one spirit. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't know how you make tea, but I know how to make tea. You take water, you take the, the, the tea bags, and you put the tea bags in the water, and there's a fusion to the point that the water is no longer called water. It's called tea. It's not transparent anymore. It's brown. But the water's still in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the container, and the tea's still in the bags, but there's been a fusion so that the two have become one. I like iced tea. I love iced tea. But it's not water, it's tea. But it's not just tea, it's water. The two have become one. That's what happens with Christ. That's what happens in that relationship with him. It's a choice. It's a choice. do life without it. We can try. We can try hard. We can try all we want. But the reality is what you need is a real blood without it. We can sell all sorts of gold. We can try to accomplish all sorts of things. We can do this to this kind of person, have that title and everything else. But what does it cost us? Life is as uncertain as the day is long. I mean, one thing's here today, but tomorrow it's a whole different scenario. We don't have any guarantees on anything. I'm not trying to scare anybody or say anything along those lines. I'm just saying, I have certainty. I have peace. I have value. I am who he says I am. I am a child of God. And I am a child of God because I've done a whole lot of things and done all the right stuff. I am because of what he's done. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I'm alive in Christ. Lord, thank you for your word this morning, and thank you for speaking into our hearts. But I pray right now, as hearts are open to you, that if there's one here this morning that does not know you as Lord and Savior, this day brings a whole nother level that opens their eyes. So I pray, Lord, 
if there is not if there is one here that doesn't know you for who you are, that there would be that receiving into their hearts this morning by their choice. God, for every believer in this place, there needs to be a continued choice that says, I put on, I put on, I put on, I put on, I put on the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. I put on, I intentionally put on. I've been living without, I've been going in many different directions, I've been conscious so much, but God was saying something to me today that I need to hear and I need to listen. I am intentionally putting it on. Lord, in this place here this morning, let it be a life-changing step, a life-changing choice that we make. That the enemy can't rob or steal, kill or destroy. He's done enough damage. Now it's time to let God rise and the enemy be scattered. If you're here in this place this morning, Heads are bowed, but I'm calling to you this morning because God's been dealing with your hearts, and you know your life is not right with Him. And to know that peace and that assurance this morning, He's speaking to us. He's speaking to you. That's what's going on inside. And I know it can be a struggle. I know that, but I also know that He loves you and that He's for you. This morning, if you make a choice, you're going to make a change. You've got to understand there's nothing he will do without your permission. In this place here this morning, if your heart's saying yes to him, I want to just pray with you right where you're at. But I've learned that I have to put many times in action with my choices in order for my choices here this morning, your heart's saying yes, would you just right where you sit, slip up your hand and say, that's me, I'm saying yes in my life and my heart to Jesus Christ, to that relationship with God. If that's you, would you just, again, I want to just pray with you right where you are, just slip your hand up right where you are. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace for your mercy and for your love. I thank you for speaking into our hearts this morning. And I pray, I pray this morning 